Hello, my name is Cameron Wolf, and I will be having a conversation with Amani Henry for the New York City Trans Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library's Community Oral History Project. This is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans identifying people. It is March 8th, 2019, and this is being recorded at Amani Henry's Flatbush apartment. Which is very loud. Which is very, yes, so um, we will... uh, ignore the the buses and the the people coming from the street but thank you so much Imani for taking time and your hectic we're like running around your apartment getting flyers and talking to copying machines but you've so generously (laughs) cut up some oranges and made tea and um we're settling down here and I I guess just to um just to intro if you could share for our listeners so they know who they're meeting today kind of a constellation of different identities that you'd like to share that feel important so i i am um i one identity that feels most important to me um i live in Fratbush. i am caribbean of caribbean heritages and dis, um, descent my um, people come from jamaica i'm the first to be born in the united states of either side of my family i am the guinea pig um, that they are working class people, very much aspiring to be middle class and have definitely lived that middle class lifestyle, but they are workers. And even more so, um, you know, like my my mother is self-trained as an accountant, like, and, and because we run, they ran a, like a family business, my sister and myself, like, were part of like this secretarial uh, maintenance crew back in the day when we were like probably like you know 10 and I, I think it's so interesting because I have friends who are um, like also worked in maybe like you know the nail salon you know like you know or bodegas and like we all can talk about as migrant folks like that like we, we were put to work early on early on with very little pay or acknowledgement <laughs> of that and that's like you know part of like we were we were cleaning things, we're answering phones, we're making copies as like as children. I don't even know if we made copies. Was there a copy machine? They're probably like <laughs> gigantic or whatever. So anyway, um, as and I think the other piece of it is also very much identified as an activist. And really, frankly, if anything, you know, and not in a haughty way, but definitely strive to be. A revolutionary strive to be a freedom fighter and really feel like those that's like that is my aspiration in the world to be fighting for you know my peoples whatever that might be if it's queer peoples particularly queer people of color if it's like tenants and homeowners if it's a fight and free political prisoners if it's a stop a war an imperialist war in particular, if it's the fight police violence and brutality, like those are identities that are very much, I am very connected to, I've spent more than my adult life in, in struggle um, for justice and did make a very conscious decision, that, well, we can share that story, of becoming a revolutionary, understanding that it was nothing more important but to fight for liberation and freedom at that moment. So tell me what's, um, if you're able to like dig back in time, what's your earliest memory of you doing activist work? I, I, I tell this story a lot 
because that's what old people do. I'm turning 50 this year, and I, I want to... Which, congratulations. Thank you. And I also think, like, just, in, you know, like, I think another identity, I do identify as a survivor. And I've been, you know, I'm also a social worker. I think, you know, those are also, I should say that, but it's not, like, that identity is not as important to me because, you know, long before I got degrees, I got two master's degrees, like, in my... 40s. I graduated in 2013. And so I've been doing this work for over 20 years um, as a consultant, as a direct service worker, and again, without master's degrees. And so people would have called me a prior professional. I am seen in a lot of circles of being definitely like I've been a director and administrator and I didn't have master's degrees. Oh, there was a time we just did the work. I have mentors until they died, like Keith Kyler, I worked at Housing Works back in the day when it was like I shared a desk with my supervisor. Like we were one, we were a couple floors and maybe one other building. We're fighting just to have like day treatment centers and all kinds of stuff. Like it was, we could have our entire staff meeting in like a hall of a church. Like we weren't, we were just maybe, maybe a couple hundred people, if that, or maybe less. Literally, they were building desks (laughs) for us to have more space. But he was a mentor of mine, and he was definitely, he was my boss, but he was also a mentor of mine until he died. You know, if people don't know, Keith Kyler is like, was one of the founders of, of Housing Work, which is now like, I think the largest uh, people of color led AIDS organization in the United States. Um, I forget what their standing is in New York City. But the, the point of the matter is when it was tiny and not like now it's like there's, I, I, I guess there's work in Haiti. There's definitely stuff in um, Albany. Like they're like far reaching all over the, all over five boroughs. Like they're huge. But anyway, the point of that is I didn't know until he died that he was a social worker. I didn't know he had an MSW. Mm-hmm. Like back, I grew up in a time where that wasn't so important. So anyway, I would probably identify more with my survivorship first before but say I'm a social worker. So I just want to put that in context because I grew up in a time where social worker was like, they were baby, like they were baby sealers. Like it was this understanding they come into your house and take your kids. You know, my household was traumatic growing up as a child. It was traumatic. But when the social worker came, we all closed ranks. Right? <laughs> the social worker came to the house like, nothing's going on here. Myself included. You're an outsider. We don't know you kind of thing. I was running away to other people's houses. I was definitely like, try. I was like, you know, really literally, you know, fighting for my life. And, but when the social worker came, it was like, it was like exactly, actually, I showed up at my house when I was like 11 for looking at one of my cousins. I don't care. I'm just going to say it. I knew at 11 years old, I was like, I don't know this man. I've never seen this man in my life. I don't know. Thank you so much. Then they're even talking to an 11 year old. It's a piece that was it was INS back in the day. It's now ICE, and but again, like I don't know that man, and that was just kind of under the, the social worker was like, "There's nothing wrong here in this household," you know, kind of thing. Anyway, the point of the matter: you asked me my first time as an organizer or activist. I think I was. I I have to. I think I was in the seventh grade. So I I don't know what is that. Is that like? 11 or 12, I'm a social worker, I should know this. <laughs> like 12, 13? 12, 13. I was probably 12. Mm-hmm. And um, I've talked about this before. Like, we didn't have school buses. Uh, there was, uh, 
you know, other neighborhoods, we were like the black and brown and white working class, you know, young people actually like one of the problems. And this is in Boston. This right? is in Boston. So in Boston, Massachusetts, you know, four or five neighborhoods had to sort of like, and I say this compared like if all of Flatbush, East Flatbush, Crown Heights, Prospect Heights and Park Slope, you know, met at Barclays to get on like six buses of like school children at going to a school that it was like hundreds of students forced on like six buses, MTA buses. And I, I say this about like, you know, I knew that in their working class white people because people came with their hockey bags and their hockey sticks. And you're in the, and we had to, like, you were lucky to get a seat. If not, you had a hockey stick in your eye, right? Like it was all like, in football, we could just talk about it. Like, we already had big, the joke was, you know, this is a, this is a, I was at Latin Academy, Boston Latin Academy. So, you know, the joke is, especially the younger grades, our book bags and books, you know, it's exam school, were bigger than ourselves. It was almost like we were turtles. You could push us over and we couldn't get up. It was true. Like, it really was, the bags were heavy. Yeah. It was really, or if you didn't take the six buses, if you didn't get on the six buses and whatever, you, it was, I from my house was a bus to a trolley to a train no 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 a bus to the train to the trolley and then like a 20 minute walk at like seven o'clock in the morning like ridiculous like that was it was miles from my house and like you know i that was the journey i made at 12 years old to like get to school if i didn't take the bus the these mta buses what happened was I thought it was slick, and I I was like, I'm going to get a seat today. And so I got in, up at the front of the bus and, like, you know, was like, I'm first. I'm going to be the first on the bus. And what happened was that the everybody behind me, of course, surged forward. And I'm, like, a young person. Like, you know, I'm they're much bigger. And, again, like, it's 7th grade to 12th grade. So like I'm not I'm a young the youngest part of the that continuum at that point. The bus driver got scared and he didn't open the doors. And so everyone surged forward. And this is a time like back in the day there was that whole stampede and people died in Cincinnati. Like it's like the early eighties. Yes, this is like the early eighties and the this this so people had literally we had all heard it on new it was a concert thing, it was general seating and so just really like in that time period, it was like, oh my goodness, like people, like people got trampled on. I felt my body, I felt the surge of people behind me. And there was a moment that I, my feet were literally pushing from underneath me and I could have gone underneath the bus, but I gathered myself and fortunately the bus driver um, opened the door. So I totally understood about what that moment is when you're being, you could be trampled and people died. People didn't know they were walking on top of people. They didn't know that the people in front of them had been pushed down and they were just jumping on them until afterwards. So anyway, after that sort of like, I mean, I'm going to be honest, like I'm going to die experience. Like I, cause again, that was in my head. Oh my God. Like I could get trampled. I took out a piece of paper on the bus, like just out of like a spiral notebook. Cause we had many of them and just was like, we want school buses. And like put your name. And I just push it on the bus. And everyone's like, yes, I'm assigning this. And then I went in the school and was like, 
you know, let's do this. And I had peop- some more friends and some more people that I didn't know, and everyone sort of pledged to get signatures and put it out to all their classes and did that. And then the next step was then, I, you know, like, and really kind of stole the thunder of the young people. Parents got involved, and they held the, the principal accountable. And the whole deal was was that um, some people in our school, in more richer, whiter neighborhoods, had school buses. The black and brown and more working class white people did not have school buses. So that, that was like, and, and there was a whole other scandal, I think, also too. Like he had sort of made this backroom deal. I, I forget all the details of it. But the point of the matter is that we won and we got school buses. And that was the very first time in my life I was like, we could do this. Look at this. We could do this. Like, if you know, as, as a dear friend, Christine Lewis with um, Domestic Workers United always says, like, everything. If you struggle, you can, you know, if, when you struggle, you win. And, like, that was, like, this eye-opening moment that, like, I'm, a, I'm 12 and we could get school buses. So... You know, it was it was kind of awesome, and I, and I think that I mean, and just to be clear, I mean, my politics, like everybody's, like I didn't, my family's are, my family is like born again Christian. You know, I do a lot of writing and performance about the church, and also like traditional, more African or Caribbean like spirituality. But you know, like I was dealing with like. And I joke, and I think your audience would understand this. My, I, when I was growing up, I loved James Dobson of Family on the of Family Focus. I mean, this is a person that called for boy, like like people to go to um, Matthew Shepard's funeral, and like protested and all this stuff, like completely. But when I was growing up, he was awesome because he was more to the left of my parents mm. i thought he he was great with he gave great advice he was good with young people mm. my my parents were more to the right than james dobson and my mom my mom for sure has changed much more it's, it's a, a different place in her life now but i i just it was it was it was deep and i and i just i'm very honest about it i say that i grew up in a cult i grew up in a christian cult there are like i can now go down the list of what and it's really deep too because people think of cults and satan and all this other stuff and it really is actually true what is true in the u.s is that more christian based or you know sex or organization i think it's like almost like 141 um, groups have been identified as cults and it's mostly like the christians lead the way in cult-like behavior like and that was really like, I learned that in my 20s, that was like, oh, no, 30s. It was really, like, eye-opening because it was hard to say to people, like, I grew up, I was a case study. And my, it's so funny, my therapist used me as a case study. Your therapist when you were in, like, middle? No, no, my therapist when I, as a grown adult, as a, grown adult uh-huh. a grown adult, she's my mentor. She's my people's. I, you know, like, she is, she is my people's. Um. What's her name? Uh, or if, if you... Yeah, I'd rather not. not she Actually, I'll be honest with you. She doesn't like accolades. I tried to get her, <laughs> I tried to get her an award. I was like, all thought that I was all shiny. And she was like, that is not something I want. Mm. And almost sort of like, it was a moment I was like, oh my God, like, I don't really even know you well enough. Because she was just so appalled mm. that I wanted 
to give her an award. Like we we're gonna it was like from radical social workers. I vetted her name. Everyone's like, Oh my god, she sounds amazing and I was like and she was like, No. <laughs> but she used you as a case study. She with my permission, obviously. Uh-huh. She and it was because the level of psychological um, abuse really through you know religion mm-hmm. is like that it was just like it was a perfect example because people do think of like and again I've lived through all kinds of violence as a child and all kinds of violence when um, as you know an adult you know I, I but I do think like and we talk about this I think this like in, in the work of healing and the work of like supporting other people, psychological abuse can be like the hardest thing to to like, you know, like, you know, like heal from. It really is like uh, it's it just it because that's really so bone deep, and you're it's, it's you know like again like if you've lived through war, if you lived through long bouts of domestic violence or sexual violence, long bouts of like. You know, like if you have lived constantly in a life and death situation, you know, you know, if you, you know, like, and, and that's, I think that's the piece of it that she was like, whoa. Mm-hmm. So I, I can say probably now I grew up in a cult. I, I don't have any qualms. I, I say it, I put it on Facebook because I do think like I'm out as a survivor. Um, you know, with discretion, I don't, I also don't want to trigger others and I don't want like other, like, I also think that. That's unethical too, you know, but I'm very proud of the fact that I have, you know, a survivor community. Um, I'm also in a place of my own recovery that is, I'm 50 now. I've been doing this work since I was 22. So it's great. Like people are there for me, you know, and I feel now like I'm not only obligated to, but just to be like, yeah, you do heal. You will survive this. You can, your life will get better. Trust me. And those folks have definitely become family. What was the question? Did you ask me earlier? Mm-hmm. Um, I forget what that question is, but it's making me think about, like, I'm, I'm kind of curious how your um, kind of migrant uh, Caribbean born again Christian parents and family responded to those early, like you sending around that petition. Oh my, my, my parents, my mom in particular was like, you're going to get kicked out of school. It was an exam school. I had to, you know, take the PSAT to get in. Um, I mean, in the school, there was, this is, if people understand there was a, the, it was girls Latin back in the day. And then there was boys Latin, which was, you know, uh, basically rich people's private school. Like they were only, again, I also went, you know, to English High, which is the first public school in the United States, and that's like that's where the poor people go, right? What's so, it called? In, well, English High. English High is a, to our my knowledge, this is at least the first public school in the United States for like regular people. Latin school, Boston Latin School, was the f- first school for like the elite, and there's still to this day. And when I, you know, there's an understanding. Boston Latin School is in turmoil around race and turmoil, like in so many ways. It really is still in a sense of elitism. And, and Latin Academy probably has a little bit of that. And even something back when I don't know if this all exists, it was Latin. The three exam schools was uh, Latin, Boston, Latin, which was the hardest for black and brown people to get into because they were just like, no, you don't come here. And then, and then the next piece was sort of like it became white and, and, and like East Asian particularly 
and it really was like sort of like that kind of like that was like the people of color that they would allow in and whereas um latin um academy was very black and brown and white too but it was very and very migrant absolutely migrant and then there was um boston tech which was a more technical school i think a little more about science a lot of a little more and that was thoroughly people of color so these are the three exam school and it really was sort of like this hierarchy and all of this stuff and I left that and I went into I also want to be clear I also was in a, like a school within a school called the Fenway Project that is program that's how I could like live that's how it saved my life it was you know because English was its own thing this is I mean I want to say English high and I loved it but like you know I definitely got in fistfights I won, so that was okay for me. <laughs> I did. I got I got jumped at school. Like somebody brought like I didn't know why this person hated me, but they did. I didn't understand it. I can I'm gonna say this person's name. Tanya hated my guts. I don't know why she hated me. And she brought like four or five of her cousins to jump me in school that they got in, they went to another school that came in. I whooped Tanya's ass. <laughs> she was much bigger than me. And we became friends. Mm. It was so like, <laughs> I earned respect in her eyes, and we became friends. We weren't close friends, but we were cool. After that, after I whooped her ass, it was, we were like, it was no more shade. Like, she was, we were, we were friends. We were, hi, how are you? Oh, blah, blah, Thank you. It was so bizarre. But, you know, that, so, the school within the school was like, I again, so I went to school with like the Knight Brothers, right? From um, New Kids on the Block. Mm. And literally in the, and it wasn't close to them, but we were, we were in school together. And I just want to say, John has always been a sweetheart. John was always. On the record. On John the record. John Knight <laughs> was always a fucking sweetheart. He was such a sweet person. Really cool person. But the, you know, the. And again, he turned out to be gay. Who do? There we go. He was awesome. But even like when their song, what was the first song? I do. I don't know. This is not your generation. I know. What was the first song? Oh, I don't remember their first song that came out. That was the big, big, big hit to this day. One of their biggest hit they ever had. We were in school and they were running around. We're on the radio. But it was like, they're on the radio. Like, it was just so awesome. I mean, and again, like one of the things about Boston is like, I, I'm of the generation of new edition. I, I know I've been in the same room with them at a, like when they were first starting out. I'm trying to think. There was Ed OG and, and the Bulldogs, which is English high, like a trade because we were the Bulldog, the English Bulldogs. And like, I don't think I ever met him, but we all like Boston was like, N O G, N O G, you know, like we were just like, these are our people. It was, I mean, like, it was a, it was a heavy time, you know. What was the thing I was gonna say? Like English high, we did. We we're a migrant school. We did the Pledge of Allegiance was done in at least five languages, maybe even more than that. We had a huge Haitian uh, community, and in fact. What was when Baby Doc was deposed, the Haitian students had like a separate like assembly and people were cheering and all it was beautiful. Like I, I just happened to be in the hallway because you know, I was in class. I saw 
you know, like I just like it, like it was just this moment. It was a rally that happened in school for Haitian students. Um, you know, we had a huge Latinx, huge like even like was a English as a second language program to begin with. I mean, like people like you could speak. You know, I was about to say like I think Vietnamese like you could speak your language in that school. There was like a multitude, and then for all of us, there was a whole bunch of folks that dropped out of. Um, like exam schools, there were a whole bunch of folks who were, there was like a, a broad level of folks that might have like um, developmental delays to folks who were like, you know, had, you know, been at an exam school, but couldn't like hack it. They, you know, a lot of us were, had a serious emotional issues. We, it was, it was a place for like, we were, it was, it was like a beautiful family. And actually, to be honest with you, it was only like, I don't know. I don't think we were even 100, maybe 200 kids at the most. But the whole school, like my graduation, which was wild, wild, wild. Our graduation at English High happened at Matthews Arena, which is Northeastern's Arena. Like we were, our we were class is something like, it was probably at least 2,000 people, like something like that. Maybe, probably even more. It might have been, it couldn't have been 5,000. That's too much. But it was a it a was big school. It was a big like just our graduating class. We had to be in like an arena that they had hockey games in, you know, for like the college. And we were we were a riot. There were people that like you got on the stage and their families would rush in and take all the pictures, especially like black and brown folk families were just at the front. They were like, I don't care who you are, my kids <laughs> up there. People like to dances on stage. We, I think we sang the school song. I got up on a chair myself and was like this and <laughs> rocking it up. And then other people like joined me and we were rocking it up. And then our prof- like teachers came and was like, we're going to sit next to you. People got their diplomas and left. Like it was like, they just like, families were like, we're out. We're going to dinner. Like it was just like, it was chaotic and wild. And literally I met somebody like later on after the graduation I, who, you know, was like, blah, blah, blah. Oh, you just graduated. That's great. You know, I went to a graduation the other day, and it was wild. <laughs> and people were doing this and that. I was like, what graduation? They said, English High. I was like, that's us. <laughs> they were like, oh, my. They were like, oh, my God. I've never seen anything like it. Like, there was no, and, like, no one could stop us. Like, again, teachers came over and like, oh, there's the loud kids. We're with you. Let's rock it. I was on chairs. Like, just, anyway. So it's kind of, I mean, it's amazing. So you, you know, all these different stories of like, of, of the like busing challenges and the family kind of like home life challenges and the, the fights like within this school that you, you manage still to graduate and it's a joyous, yeah, sounds like a joyous event. It was a joyous event. event. It, it, it still, also, it was a joyous event. And I, I guess I would say this. So. I, what I was starting to say is, like, I, I had to find my political way. Mm. So here I am at 12. I probably did activism in school that was probably, like, more, like, sort of liberal. I, I helped, like, when I graduated from college. So college happened, and I think most people get um, put more politicized in college. 
I went to, uh, it, it's now the UMass at Lowell. It was Lowell University when I was there, and it was a known drinking school. To this day, even in business settings, I say I went to Lowell. They were like, drinking school. It's a party school. And actually, so I'll, I'll share, like, when I got there in the admissions office, someone had etched, you know, the N-word, go home, and that. Like, that was my first day, and I, I like, going for an admission thing, and, like, someone had done that. They had chased an Iranian, during the Iranian hostage crisis, an Iranian student got chased in the world by an angry mob of white students. Um, I, um, I was just, I dated someone who was on the basketball team who had gotten dragged at the back of a car by like, you know, like, you know, white racists. I literally would be on college campus and people, someone would drive by and you just call me the N word, like as they were there. And that woke me up about racism. I was still, and this is a beautiful thing. I was still like, I was the black person. I was a respectability politics. I need to have a multinational like sort of team. There were black students who were like, no, we won't just be black people. We're over here. We do that. And we worked together, but they were just like, they side-eyed me. They were just like, what you doing? You want to meet with the administration? We want to shut down the administration. I was not the radical at that time. I mean, like, I'm I'm sort of proud of that in some ways because I really do feel like I appreciate my own political journey that, like, people now are just like, like, oh, my God. Like, You know, like, I'm seen as this, I am, I'm radical, my politics, right? I'm in a radical social work movement. I, you know, I, Equality for Flatbush is a small, you know, um, organization, but people think we're much bigger. We do have like a 1500 base. We do like on social media, I don't even know how big it is. We have like eight social media assets and I meet people all the time. They're like, oh yeah, we follow you on Facebook. Oh yeah, I follow you on Instagram. Oh yeah, oh we follow your Twitter. Like we're just like, and they and they've come to a demonstration. That I mean, they they came to our come to a demonstration. They're like, how did you hear about this? I'm a, I'm a, just assuming that they're on our email list, and they're like, no, I follow you on Facebook. And I'm like, whole demonstrations have been. I'm just like, oh no, I should bring like a clipboard for them to sign up to be in our inner circle. They have just found us on, and they and they are so reliable. It's amazing. But the point of the matter is, on that college campus, I was was my first arrest, and actually police brutality in space. So I was at that time cis female appearing, you know, and I wasn't queer, you know, in a, as my identity. What I was to myself is a different thing. Let me just check this yep. just to make sure. What time are we at? It is 409. Okay, we're okay. I don't know. I left it in there. All right. Two more seconds. I'll be right back. Talking about? So you were were talking about appreciating your own political journey from someone who is respectability politics into being radicalized in your first arrest. So my first arrest was at a college party, which I believe I was the only black person at, maybe. So let's just be real. Right? Again, I was in a different place <laughs> in my life. And it was sort of a known thing that like the townie cops of Lowell raided parties to basically get bare for themselves or 
you know, there was just sort of like, and this is a working class school. I mean, you know, it's now part of the UMass system. It's part of the public school system. You know, it's not, there were definitely some more, like more affluent folks, but most people came from the Merrimack Valley or Boston. Like it really was, it was a, it was a community school. Like it was like not elitist. And again, like the tuition was very low. It was, it's, it was a, it was a, it was affordable uh, college option for families or people that had the financial aid got the money to do that. My parents didn't get financial aid because they were business owners, so we never qualified for that. But so they could pay for it. Like it wasn't, you know, I think they t- took out loans, but like, and again, they celebrated when they paid the loans back. So back to me being, uh, being arrested. So the townie cops came and arrested the party I was at, you know, and they told everybody to leave. So we're all leaving, you know, we're not, we're just going to leave, right? We, we, you know, we're not going to resist anything. And what happened was there was a, a, a white student, male student, who um, had left his keys in the house for his truck. And so typical thing, you know, he has one cop saying, move your truck, get out of here, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, I have my keys are in there. I gladly leave, but I left my keys. The keys on the table somewhere. And he, he, you know, is getting both messages about like, you can't go back in and move your truck. Like literally two separate cops sort of like, can't, you know, you don't understand. And it was like typical stuff, typical like police mentality. And also until completely irrational, like he can't leave without his keys and you won't let him get his keys. So he got in the bed of his pickup truck and sort of just sat there and was like, well, I, I don't know what else to do. I'm going to at least get out of the way of these folks. I'm going to get in my truck. And the cops were livid. They just, they went apeshit on him. And they pulled him. He was sitting like on the, like sort of like on the lip of the truck, right? So he wasn't inside. They pulled him over when cop went and pulled him over head first and threw him to the ground and started to hit it. And I, I, I instantly just started yelling, police brutality, police brutality, you know, and what, what, and alone too, I must add, <laughs> it wasn't like a crowd of us. And then the other thing was that I was leaning up against a cop, like shouting, like there was another cop who turned his back, and was like, and I was shouting. He was basically no. He he was turned his back to the beating, yeah. so he's not a witness to the beating. Mm-hmm. But I am like leaning against his arm, mm-hmm. and I'm, and like, and he is not arresting me. He's not saying anything. He's not in my face. He's just sort of, I'm just a barrier, so you can't go over there. And I'm turning my back to what's happening. Out of nowhere. This, uh, I think his last name, I forget now, maybe Rodriguez or something, but he was notoriously known for, like, sort of violence. I found that out later. Came up, Rivera maybe, came up behind me and grabbed my arm and was ready to arrest me. Like, it was ready. He's like, he said, give me your arm. Give me your arm. And in fact, he put one arm, like, with my back turned, put one arm in cuffs. And even the other policeman was kind of surprised because... And then, like, he's not arresting me. He's not even saying anything to me. I wasn't given any warning. He put my hand in cups and was like, give me your other hand. Give me your other hand. 
And I was like, no, I don't want to, I don't want you to take my other hand. And like, you know, like it was like, what did I do? What did I do? You know? And so he then, I gave him my hand. And even the other cops said to him, no, 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 let me take her. Like kind of thing. Like it was sort of just like, what is happening? Because I, you know, I'm not in the fray of this. I'm far away yelling, but I have not, I'm not throwing rocks. I didn't throw a bottle, you know, and I'm leaning up against another cop. So I finally give him my hand and he, and I'm just asking, so I, you, you can't see this because this is radio. You can't. So I, he grabs, I, both hands are in a cup and then he, so he pulled up. And again, I want to be clear, like I was probably under 120 pounds. I was maybe like at that time in my life, I might've been like 116 pounds, if that. I've always been very thin, like only like I got middle age and was like, oh my God, you could consider people are like, you're thick. I'm like, or just say I'm fat, like whatever. I lived a life of like being very, very thin to the point that people tease me the other way in our culture and Jamaican culture to say, Yamaga, you know, like you're, I was skinny. People would say like, you got chicken legs and all kinds of stuff. So I wasn't a big person when, especially at that time in life, they, they, he pulled up my hands, my, my, like my wrist above my body that it fractured my wrist. And these were metal cuffs. So it fractured and shattered. Like and later I found out like, like there was like a chip in the bone, right? On my arm. And to this day, there is like a little different feeling in my right arm because that happened. So anyway, the, 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 the bigger, the bigger issue is myself and all of the people, all the people that lived in the house, like all the students that lived there, were arrested. And it was so interesting to be in the wagon with them because they were just like, <laughs> they were, they were clear. Because I didn't know them. We weren't friends. I just came to a party at their house. They were like, well, we're all, we all residents here. Why did you get arrested? Oh, probably because you're black. And this is like, and it was probably an act of solidarity, but it sounded really fucked up at that time, right? And I was just like, oh, God. Oh, no. And so then the other person, the young person, the young person that was actually beaten up by the cops, folks were trying to keep him away because we just assumed he had a concussion. And sure enough, he did. Um, I don't even know if he got medical attention. We were, I mean, again, my parents were in Boston. I don't know if they came up or whatever. But the, it was really interesting because it really, and this is why lawyers in my life, like, hate, like, law and order. I love Lauren Arter, but I don't watch it anymore. It was my thing. I like cop shows. I, I've done a whole play on, like, I'm an anti-police brutality activist that loves cop shows. <laughs> it was, like, a line in a show. And I really talked about the, this love. And maybe it's, like, know your enemy. But I, I, I like shows that show how evil they are. And I also like shows, well, I mean, again, like, uh, like what is it? Law and Order, SV, was it S- SVU. SVU is a different thing, and maybe in my own survivorship, I like that was my favorite show. The other regular Law and Order I loved in the early days, but then when S- SVU came, it was like I can clearly have solidarity with this show, even though it was hard to see Ice T play a cop. It was I could have solidarity with this show because a lot of the cases that they they were really was. People were special victims, and I could see that. It's not so much that I was even rooting for the cops, but there was a, a sense of like, 
this is actual justice that we don't get to see ever. Like, I'd say that literally, you know, particularly women, you know, I say people bled and die for orders of protections, for, you know, restraining orders. That's what they were called in Boston. Like, people bled for this to happen. It wasn't something we had to fight. We gave our lives. People gave their lives. How many people lost their lives because what cops did, let the person back in, just walk around the block, you know, don't, we don't see this as domestic violence, your guys are queer, oh, they just had a fight, you know, like all that stuff, you know, oh yeah, men will be men, kind of. Well, the rates of domestic violence amongst police officers is even higher than the general population. So that's my favorite statistic. I, oh, you kidding? I have a whole hashtag, cops are monsters. I talk about them being, so they're, they're sociopaths, which is different than a psychopath. I, I tell them that too, but a sociopath, you know, it's, it is about like the, like that they know right and wrong, but they have, they have lack impulse control and absolutely right. Cops have more domestic violence and sexual assault, um, in their, within their family than like NFL players. And that's like, you know, again, because people, you know, kind of equate, you know, football with, and which is true too. And I want to even say not so much about even like, it's of course, like we could talk about football players, but those like Thanksgiving, Christmas, all of those are high domestic violence times. And it's again, a lot of it is about like the expectations that capitalism brings, particularly on women and, you know, to like provide this amazing, uh, you know, Christ-like martyrdom to like have this thing but it's also like people are drinking people are watching football you know people are angry at you know they're angry have long-term gripes that are coming and who who gets beaten the fuck up is like a lot of women children you know it's my my therapist my mentor used to say a lot that gay pride is also a huge breakup moment too i've watched it myself right so also when I cop watch, it is also, for me, the most dangerous cop watching experience I've ever had. The cops are incredibly violent during Pride. I mean, like, I mean, like, we had to hide out kind of thing. Like, they were, we had to turn our shirts inside out to, like, get back to home base. Because, like, I almost got arrested three times. I, I, I'm actually, with all due respect, you know, I'm a part of the East Flatbush Cop Watch team. I'm part of the Cop Watch movement, you know, in New York City you know, and have solidarity with cop watchers all over the country, all over the world. I, I've met the real De, De Janeiro team. They were here in Flatbush, saved my fucking ass. Like, all of that. And I won't cop watch it Pride ever again. What was the first um, gay pride that you went to? So I came out in, I, I, so this is my journey. I came out to myself. Okay, so I'll tell this story. I, at eight years old, came to grips that I was a girl. Before eight, I I didn't really have that language to describe myself. In elementary school, all the best, my best friends, the people I played with were all boys. That was my world. And it doesn't mean that I wasn't in a dress. It's just, but that didn't matter. Didn't matter. So I wrote, I've written about this. This isn't a short story and called Bits and Pieces where I also call it my first butch femme moment too. So someone called Boys Against the Girls and, and like, you know, 
it was this shocking moment. Like it probably had happened before, but it was like a realization moment that I was like, oh, I, 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 you know, what would my parents say? I'm probably a girl. I, I, I know that they think of me as a girl. And again, my, my Christian brainwashing was like, do the right thing. You know, I went to my parents. What would my parents want me to do with be to go on the girl side? So I had just been playing with boys, like I always do, and now I had to go to the girl's side. And as soon as I got there, the girls were like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> and they were like, you know what? Let's make you a spy. Why don't you go over to the boys' team and see what they're saying? And basically it was like, and it wasn't like, come back and tell us. They were just, go over there. <laughs> we don't know you. Go over there. And so I got in the huddle, and it was like the first sort of realization, I'm a spy. And so I'm just in the huddle. And for like a good, in, I don't know, in children's years, I don't know, a good 10 minutes. Might have been five minutes. Might have been one minute. But if, to me, it was a long time. I'm in the huddle with my peoples. And someone all of a sudden like looked up and was like, oh, shit. You know? You know, like, that was, this was not my birth name, but Imani is here. And it was like, oh, shit. Oh, ha, ha, ha. Oh, my goodness. We didn't even realize. You've been here the whole time. Oh, my God. Look at that. We didn't even notice you. Blah, 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 blah. And it was like, and I, and, and I say in the story, like, we all fell on the floor. And it was laughing and joking. It was so fun. And I don't know what, you know, like, I probably disassociated, disassociated on my body. And like I, I say at the end of the short story, I say, I don't know which side won. I don't know what game we played. I don't know what happened. It was this moment of like, oh, it's over. You know, I, I don't, I no longer have what for me was just a natural place of like, I think like even like when I was five or six or seven years old, I had best friends that were girls. I also, school friends were boys. I have an amazing story that I still am shocked with um, about like a Haitian girl in my elementary school. I grew up, I should say, I grew up under desegregation. I'm one of those kids that were on the school buses and really went through a lot of gauntlet of violence, you know, like school fights, the N-word on the school wall, adults, you know, fighting us, literally throwing rocks at us, throwing snowballs at us, like horrible, you know, when I went to school out in Rosendale. And <laughs> so there was another, uh, you know, person. Her name is Nadej. She was my neighbor. She lived the street. And she was Creole speaking. I She could have also been French speaking. I don't know. But we were inseparable. And we would literally have conversations <laughs> where I would speak in English and she's speaking like, you know, I guess either Creole or French. I don't know to this day, right? And she, we're just like, blah, 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 blah. And literally teachers came over and was like, do you understand each other? But we ate lunch together. We sat together. We were inseparable in school. We were each other's sort of safety net. And I, I mean, I think it's beautiful that we didn't speak each other's language. But we, we were friends. And we understood. I don't know how we did it. I went to high school with her later. And we laugh about it. It was like, I don't know what you would say. Like, kind of, you know, like, whatever. But we were friends. We were solid. And, like, even the teachers were like, this is, this is phenomenal. This is, wow, look at them. Is this really happening? They, they seem to understand each other. 
literally was like, oh, let's get up and do this. Like, who knows what they said, but we would get up and go do the thing because we understood we were both going to do that. Anyway. so Yeah, well, there's just, it seems like in so many of these, like, like the, you have, it seems like you have this, like, really deep connection to other people's humanities that, like, it doesn't matter if you don't speak that language. It doesn't matter if you're the only person at a party shouting police brutality. Like, you see, you see that humanity... And you act on it. I, I think it's... I, I do talk about... I mean, again, I got my arm fractured over a white kid I didn't know. And also that he was white. I think it's... I think that's also important, too, because I think white people think, you know, we absolutely black people are hunted down and killed, and that's happened for centuries, right? And I, and I But I also think it's also important that the police, you know you know, are clear that we are targets. But they there's a white woman that was raped here in New York City and we're all like, you want justice for Amanda. You know, like I the I think that's the piece of it. It's more about if I don't we say abolish the police because it really is like you are, you know, descendants of slave catching. That is that is exactly how the police force started in the United States. In England, the police force is really like, again, it's always about, from a Marxist analysis, it's an armed body of men, you know? It was the serfs. It was the serfs, you know, and the lord of the manor who had an armed body of men to hold them and put them in, in check. And I, and I think, like, that's, it's always about class. It's always about class. And, and in the United States, it's about race. But I think, like, really, like, for people to dissect it more, it's always been sexist. It's always been anti-gay. It's always been racist. And it's also classist. And I think that it's ageist. It's ableist. I mean, we can talk about young people. Who are, who, again, I'm 50, and I can speak for myself in a way. But, you know, who's getting shot down? Actually, actually, tomorrow is the sixth anniversary of Kamani Gray's murder here in East Flatbush where there was actually a rebellion of young people in the streets. And I, I, I mean, like, in this neighborhood since 2012, we've had six either murders or shooting. One person survived. Um, or, not everyone wanted to click Cam Livingston died in police cop, you know, custody. We say the Sandra Bland is the Cam Livingston of Texas because Cam died first. You know, they denied her medical attention. And that's how she died. Literally, if it wasn't for the women in that cell with her who pleaded for her life, who took care of her, she was a stranger to them. And thank God they were there with her. It's six hours. She was going through incredible pain. And there was medical attention right downstairs and he denied her and allowed her to die in that cell. And it wasn't like they didn't know. They were just like, we don't give a fuck. We don't care. So anyway, I, I just think that I wish more white people understood that, you know, they are not maybe the target of police violence in most cases. But this doesn't say, doesn't mean that there might come a moment where they are, that there might come a moment that they watch someone. Like, again, the Rodney King, and I'll, I'll skip to that, you know, you know, Rodney King is what changed my life. And I, I, to my knowledge, and I could be wrong, I thought it was like a white person who took that video. I could be wrong. I, you know, 
we were focused on his beating. It was the first time that, you know, without social media, I, I even in fact, like the internet was like, like, I think we had it in school. It was like unique. Like I didn't use an email, like, but the, I think the school was trying out and gave us accounts and it was like, oh, I'll call you, you know, like it was just like, so, you know, it, I didn't use email at that time in my life. And here was the first time that the entire world saw this beating on videotape. That every news from Tokyo to Alaska to, you know, North Carolina to London, like everyone had seen this video of this man being beaten by four cups. And then I think, you know, the other piece of this, when, you know, everything is really said and done, is even the history of police violence, like, you know, people, the black people of that generation talk about we weren't on TV. And the, until the civil rights movement, you saw images of black people. And what did you saw? I mean, again, the images that you probably saw before were white people in blackface. And then the next images were like, you know, black people being chased by dogs and having the, the famous picture of the black man whose hand is in the mouth of a police dog. You know, people being disrespected at doing protests at, at, at lunch counters. Like, that was the first time of, of that generation, people say, that was the first time we were on TV as, like, black people. So that's why, like, you know, Jackie Robinson or Muhammad Ali, you know, all of these sort of iconic, you know, people that broke through a lot of the racial barriers there, you know, Ray Charles, all of that. That, like, that was, like, we were all, you know, it's, it's back to, like, um, Issa... Issa Rae saying, like, I'm rooting for everyone black. That was, like, that was the that was the energy, right? So I say this because, you know, it, 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 it was just a clear cut and dry kind of thing. And now, finally, white people were sort of like, oh, you be, he got beaten up by cops. Four cops were beating him with clubs. That is real. You can't deny it. We've all seen the tape, you know? And so when the verdict came down, you know, and the cops were said they were, you know, they, there was, you know, they were, you know, they were let go. They were free. They weren't guilty. And I remember watching that video. I mean, watching, you know, this, on, it came on, I think it was 11 o'clock news and my phone lit up like whatever that, not like, you know, a cell phone, like my house phone lit up and like my, a friend, like the most radical, um, like freshman on campus, Dina actually was like money we're gonna do blah 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 and i was like we gotta march and so i called and this again my sister is like you know pretty christian and my cousin who i guess is also pretty christian i called them because we were all college students and we organized a demonstration like a like a citywide kind of march that we were going to march these places and I remember I was in the middle of finals. Literally, I was in, like, so I went to Emerson College. So I was in, like, scene class where I'm building sets or whatever I was doing. I don't know. Scene class. And my professor was so cool. He was like, I was like, I have an interview. I have to call in to the radio station at this time. And he was like, you can do use at my phone. Mm. You know, like, you can. And I want to be at Emerson College. It was racist. Wow. It was racist. So anyway, he, he, he called, he allowed me to do this interview because again, we didn't have cell phones or anything like over the air. We heard that students, because it started at Emerson College and we we're going to march all over. And literally like 
you know, I mean, I think long story short, one, you know, it was a moment for me that here I was about to graduate from what is like the most sort of prestigious communications college. Like, you know, that's all it does. Does It's not a department. This is it. You know, so many famous people, even people's internships, people are like, I'm on the City Hall show. I'm working for ABC News. Like, their interns are badass. I was an acting student, so that was not my experience, especially as a black person. I was like, I I had, I was directing shows, writing shows, directing shows by then because I couldn't get into other plays. I, I mean, I, I also weren't a big singer-dancer. I wasn't, you know... So anyway, the, the, I mean, I, I say that I do do now in my performance that that happens, but I was not like, I am not like, I'm not a triple threat. And I knew that I was an actor who can move well and can sing. But also when you say one, two, three, go, I fall apart. I've been kicked out of musicals before, so I have no problem. They're like, keep moving you to the back until you're like, let's just take you up. Let's, no, no. You can, you're great as an actor, but you can't move. <laughs> Free cell, house dancer, you're supposed to like, yo! <laughs> Go ahead, Monty. Go ahead, Monty. But you say one, two, three, I'm like, people are like, is it, he my fault? <laughs> so, so anyway, I, I, I didn't, there weren't even a lot of shows. So I just went, I went through so much struggle there. We had a white man who ran and won for to be like the head of the black student, um, you know, organization. It was called Ebony. <laughs> there is a, I'm sorry. There's a white man. Who yes. Yes. To be the- yes. Yes. He, and he won. We didn't run against him. So I lit a coup and got him, <laughs> got him kicked out. Like that's who I was right in college. So anyway, the point of the matter is the point of the matter was it, it like in my own radicalization of who I was becoming, you know, or even that folks would call me and be like, yo, we got to do something. Like, that's that's who I was by that time in my life. I, it was that moment and the Gulf War, I have to say, because that's also another place that politicized me. Um, you know, I had a friend that was one of the first crowd treats in Saudi Arabia, and I had given him his going away party happened at my house, you know, for to the, you know, to the military. And... You know, I don't know, like six months, seven months, he was like already in Saudi Arabia. It was deep. It, it changed my life. And I and I went to demonstration and I become, became like an activist in the anti-war movement over that. But Rodney King was a moment in my life that I thought, oh my God, I am graduating from this school and it doesn't matter because the police aren't going to be like, well, where's your, what, what degree do you have and where did you go to school? They're, they see I'm just a young black person and I had already had my, you know, you know, wrist, you know, fractured and, you know, I was female presenting. So what, what did it matter? It didn't matter. And that's so true. Like, I, I love when black women just want to testify, like, I know there's so much focus and that's why Say Her Name came about. It's like, do you want to talk about, I want to just even say in my neighborhood, am I correct? Is it the majority? No, it's not the majority. But we have at least three black women who have been murdered by the police in East Flatbush, Flatbush. You know, it's now the men are like at a higher rate right now, but they weren't at at a certain time. Between 2012 and 2013, it was two women. So I, I think it's so important to acknowledge the violence that happens to women of color 
at the hands of the police all the time. You know, women in general, but women of color specifically are treated. And we, we have whole stories of Latina moms, like her son just, this is in Sunset Park, her mom, his, her, her, her child, her son had just gotten out of jail. And a lot of times when you're out on parole, if you're in a certain neighborhood, if you're known in that neighborhood, the cops want to fuck with you all the time. So I think they were driving or something or they were walking or whatever it is, but I think they were driving because the cops stopped them and literally, literally they saw the cop plant something in the car or they are, are somewhere. They, they like, there was a planting that happens and mom was like, I think seven months or eight months pregnant. And there's a videotape of the cops pushing her and her rolling down the street like a pregnant woman. We in, in Flatbush, we've had pregnant women put on headlocks for having like just barbecue in front of their own house. Barbecues. We had a black woman who, who, they, it was a safety check because she had an order of protection. She's a survivor of domestic violence. The cops were doing a safety check and they ended up breaking her 11-year-old son's, like, leg because he held up a camera. He's fascinated by police. He's 11, you know? He might even been, he was 11. I think he was 11, maybe 8, but I think he was 11. He was old enough, but he just filmed them because this is a moment for him. He, I mean, like, he actually looked up to law enforcement. He hadn't, you know, they, they, um, I think, yelled at the grandmother they, she came, mom comes running down the stairs in her robe and they flipped her nipple ring. Like he sexually violated her. And she's a woman. This is Flatbush. I mean like, and this is a safety check on someone who is known to have an order of protection and you go in and you violate them sexually. You break a 11 year old's like leg. Like that's what we're living under. So I just, I just, I just, I just think it's so important. I always talk about every. I am wrong. That's what the, what I was about to say. The majority, the the murders might be majority men. Police violence in this neighborhood. At one point, I can't say that now, but at one point it was majority female or butch identified, you know, folk. Like it was, they were the majority at one point in this neighborhood, and it was like heavy, heavy, heavy. Lesbian attacks, you know, butch again, like a a butch, a masculine person who I believe uses the pronoun she, like they were looking for a black man, and you know she was like, well, I'm not one, move on, and they instead like you know roughed her up, and like and it was a rookie cop. The whole neighborhood was like, you a rookie, you a rookie, <laughs> you know. And like, and she was playing like there's it's on Woodrow Avenue. She was playing checkers. Everyone knows that spot. It's a checker spot. Like people play checkers in the neighborhood. When we put it and publicized the case, people were like, "The checker spot? They were playing check." Like everybody, like this is a spot. So again, the neighborhood rose up, and in fact, like the um, a friend of mine who's also like a masculine. I think they, I mean, I think they use they pronouns, took video, like, you know, particularly they're, they're uh, like a white skinned uh, Latinx person and, you know, definitely hasn't lived in the neighborhood as long as everybody else, but knows everybody on the block and tagged us in that video. And like, then we were, and then we got in touch with the family members 
this is the first time we ever bailed someone out of jail. We like we being equality for equality fathers. Fathers, like we cop watched. You know, we talked. We talked to every single bodega owner. Like we did all. We looked for all the cameras and all this because it really was the video was like badass. We are proud. We this is um, Tish Malinaro, and we have multiple occasions like be like this is a this is a shiro in our neighborhood. They stood up to the cops. The neighborhood had their back. And for that reason, this person is being kicked and punched because they because it was similar. I'm not a man. That's all that they were saying. Well, I'm not a man. Move on. And the whole block was like, "She's not a man. Move on. You're looking for a you're looking for a black man, and this is not a black man. So, aren't we done here?" And the cops just escalated and escalated and escalated until it was like a you know a punching and and then put taking someone in. But again, it's because we're just like, yeah, we, we live here and we don't respect you and you kill and murder our people. So why do you think we have to be respectful or friendly to you? I'm just going to answer the question. I'm not a man. Move on. That's all they said. Went back to playing chess, actually. And folks were like, so anyway, when the wrap up this thing is really what, what happened during the Rodney King. And we marched for hours. I am so proud of like I I only first and only did I think it's the first demonstration I ever organized in my life, uh, but it also is the first demonstration I, I organized with my sister and my cousin. Like, and we marched from school to school and picked up people. We picked up people in Northeastern. We picked up people. I don't think we went all the way. We didn't go to BC. My sister brought people down from BC because that's really too far. My other cousin, my cousin was at BU. And like, you know, so we marched all over the place and we joined other students and we kept marching, kept marching. And at one point we were walking against traffic. We were walking on cars. It was badass. And this is true generationally. I got people at Spellman, you know, LA is having a rebellion. Like people everywhere were like every city here in New York City. I think Macy's got fucked up. Like people threw trash cans to their window. I know some of those people, but anyway, proud to know them. <laughs> I wasn't there, but I have eyewitness accounts of all kinds of shit. And it was back in the day, people were like, smash, boom. Like, it was beautiful. Like, all this was happening. And, like, to wrap up this story, one, a, 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 like, we got blocked in the street by cops. They would not let us up. We heard that Aristide was in town. So, you know, this is, like, this was, I think, I'm trying to th- I don't think he had been elected yet. I could be wrong. But this it was earlier in his career. And, you know, he was this fucking stuff. Like, you know, he was a progressive. I mean, he was a priest, but he was, like, progressive, popular. And so we were like, we're going to... We were just, you know, like, I didn't know that much about him, but I was like, we're going to go with Aristide. And we were like, yes, let's go. So we marched up, you know, to Federal Plaza, and we kept getting blocked by cops. It took us forever. We are just, like... Locking arms, we would not move, we just chant, we just go, we gain a little more, we're just pushing against the cops to get up there. We get to Federal Plaza, and there's a huge line of cops, and it was this beautiful moment. So, Haitian students on the other side that were already on the, on the, at the plaza reached over and started yelling, and it was like, I'm a student, I demand to be with them, I demand to be them. And Haitian folks came that were with us came to the front and said, "I'm Haitian. I demand to be in my community. I have every right to be at this 
This is this is our rally. We have a right to be there. And they started to like we like people just linked arms across the police and started rocking back and forth. I don't know. We were fearless at that. <laughs> Fucking fearless. We were just like rocking. We grabbed arms and and literally, I remember that like a a black cop or a woman cop. They were next to each other and and they looked at each other. It's like I think we gotta let him go. It was like such a moment. They were like we. I guess we should let them go. And they broke apart. And then we just like marched, like all streamed in and cheered. And it was kind of awesome. And again, like we marched all day. We marched. And it, when I graduated, our racist, racist, horrible, you know, um, whatever they're called. I, I don't know, chancellor, whatever he's, I don't know, head dean, headmaster, whatever the hell he was called. He, he, oh, that yeah, he, on the fucking stage. I had, at that point, I had like Malcolm X on me. I changed my name officially. My, 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 I, Imani's not my birth name. It's legally my name now. But at that point, I started going by Imani. I was Imani X. I was going to the mosque. I had an X on my hat. I had like, I had kinder cloth around my neck way before people were doing this. We were like, we were protesting this graduation. And homie was like, he was like, you know, I'm proud to say the march, you know, student-wide march started here at Emerson College. And everyone cheered. And we're like, motherfucker, you hate black people. Who, you know, like we all, we like, we've been in meetings with them. We cussed them out. You're going to take credit for shit? So anyway, the, the point of the matter is that at that moment in building that demonstration, it became apparent to me that it didn't matter. And it really was a moment that I said inside my own head, I'm I'm gonna be a revolutionary. Like this activism, I yeah, I understand you. But you know, as I said before, like I can still be killed by the police. If Rodney King, if those motherfuckers can all get out, what get off in the whole country, they burned down shit in LA. It was just unimaginable. Did you not see the fucking video? And it was just a, like, again, like to be in the Black Lives Matter movement, even like I came moved to New York in the, you know, in 93. And like, you know, Amadou Diallo, I can start naming the names of all of it. Uh, Patrick Dorsman, all of it. Um, Sean Bell, like that's a little further on. Like, it's just like, there was just this moment of just like, we actually, as a movement, in that the anti-police brutality movement at that point in time, especially in New York, helped coin the phrase of like racial profiling. It wasn't like this phrase that was known. You know, we helped to coin that. We talked about the fact that he was racially profiled. That it was an anti-gang unit that's profiling black and brown people in our neighborhood. And this was like we started using that language and like talked about it. And now it's an accepted language. What I love about the Black Lives Matter movement and being like an older person running in the streets with them, and just, I'm proud. I'm just going to say, I was there in Ferguson, Charlotte, Baltimore, and even like, maybe it's just a day trip. Maybe it's a couple weeks. Maybe it's just like, I'm just like, Charlotte, I think, was there for a little while. Um, Ferguson, I made, I think I made multiple trips. I think. I'm not even sure anymore. But I, I know that... I think we remember you making multiple trips. I did make multiple trips to Ferguson. I went to Standing Rock. And I don't say this like to beat my chest or any of that kind of stuff. Like, I am proud that these... I, I didn't initiate this shit. I am proud that I could go. 
I am proud that other folks, like, like that movement, like, created a moment that we could be, like, rebel, rebel. And I love that, like, in 2000, you know, and that's what I always say this, too. Like, this is a whole thing, even with Trump and all that. Like, you know, I love uh, my people at Families for Freedom that work with migrants that are, like, you know, court-involved, you know, because, again, under Obama, that's who was being, you know, kicked out of the country. We've had so many deportations from Flatbush. We had a demonstration on the corner of Flatbush and, uh, and church. What time is it? 4.52. Okay, I'm good. Um, I do need to run. Um, <laughs> and go to the corner of Flatbush and church and, mm. uh, and meet people. And I don't have flyers, so, oh, my goodness, it's so bad. But the, po- but the point of the matter is that you know, it's the same thing. Like, people act like this is a new thing. And I'm like, people are like, oh, I'm woke. It's the Black Lives Matter movement. Like, white people, like, doing this whole thing. And I was like, we have been fighting for centuries. Slavery. Do you, do you understand? Like, it's just, I want to be clear. There is historical fact that, like, people killed masters and went back to Africa with those ships. There's a folks purposefully. And I, I, I did a whole play on this, too, about the fact that just even the fact that which is more which is more courageous to live through the middle passage just to survive it alone or to throw yourself overboard and and die like i just i i mean like who who's more courageous who is more you know who who is who is like it's just such a you know, I'm glad that I'm here in the world. And again, my people, you know, in slavery. So Jamaica was a place that you broke slaves. That was the understanding. Enslaved people, like, it was like you, the bad slaves, were sending to Jamaica. It was much, like, harsher. Kind of, and it's true for other places in the world. It was, it was a, a place to, like, boot camp, to, like, break people's spirit. And out of that, we ran away and waged hundred year war twice with indigenous folks, you know, and that's why even the Jamaican flag at the crest, not the flag, the crest is like an indigenous person and an African person, like on like because that's really our, our heritage. That's like there's the, these are the indigenous people that are there. The African people were brought there, you know, as slaves, and we, you know, it's true for like Seminole folks, and and that's even like Seminole Tiano. And we're Arawak in Jamaica. Like, we are all, like, in boat distance to each other. And there's a lot of, like, respects, like, that people talk about. But the Seminoles did the same thing. You know, folks went into the swamps in Florida, black people, indigenous people, and we waged war. We did guerrilla warfare. My people, the Maroon Wars, there were two, and there were 100 years each. Or maybe one was 98, and one was 100. (laughs) And that was, like... We, and we had women generals. We had Granny Nanny. Like, she's a national hero. You know, I I have done whole plays. There are, like, others. There's Kati. There's other, like, um, African, like, uh, revolutionaries that were fighting at that time. I, I, I did a whole play just to do that. Even something that I, all this research I did was really, like, to, one, it was a big up to Flatbush. When I moved here, I love Flatbush. I not, I mean, I, I don't mean this as some whatever, but I, I would give my life for this, for, for Flatbush, for Brooklyn. Like, it's like, I know, I, in this, I mean, I know that as a trans person, it's, and I, I want to say like, 
you know, there was a time in my life that people were like, I need to protect Imani. And I started doing security work. It started being like in demonstrations to the point that other folks, when some shit was going down, people naturally come get me. And that's like, and I'm proud of that because I do think people think trans people. And I'm like, my people like, like, you know, started Stonewall and the Compton, you know, cafeteria, like rebellions. Like that's my people. That's where I come from. I'm also a maroon. That's where I come from. Like my people, like slavery, like my, I'm, I'm, you know, I am a Harriet Tubman's descent. Like that's like my life. Why do you think you need to protect me? I'm not saying if someone needs to be protected, that's fine. But the truth of the matter is that's not who I am. So I started doing security and became like head of security in different places, coordinated security for national demonstrations. And to this day, that we'd be at a demo and someone would come up to me and be like, Imani, we think this person is a cop, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, wow. You know, I cop watch. I, and, you know, and all like, and and, I cop watch almost every day of my life. You know, ICE has been on my block, all the kind of, and I say that more now, again, not in this haughty way, because I, I feel like, again, I'm a descendant. This is like another chapter, like the Black Lives Matter movement was an upsurge in the anti-police brutality struggle. It's a long lineage. Exactly. I expect that there'll be more, like, uprisings and more, like, upticks in the movement. That's true. It ebbs and flows all the time. That's the dialectics of struggle. And I just feel privileged to have lived, that I'm living through it, that there's a younger generation that's taken up the gauntlet and they're doing it their own goddamn way. And even something, like, again, what I was going to say, my generation coined racial profiling. Their generation is coining, you know, abolish the police, abolish prisons, abolish ICE. Like, it is like, it is breathtaking to me. It is breathtaking about the liver. I won't even, you know, whatever. I'll talk about Art Kelly for just a second. I'm of the generation of his first trial, and he got off. And I, I put it on social media when he was arrested. And again, as a survivor, you know, I think, I just think there are young black women that led this charge, were relentless, helped to shut down his shows, helped to like, he got canceled in different cities. They didn't want the protests. The other times the show went on and they were the only ones out there and people were yelling and screaming at them. You know, similar to Black Lives Matter <laughs> activists. This is typical of, I mean, again, this, people still yell. I do demonstrations all the time. Swipe it forward. Other things are like, get a job. I love that when people say that this is my motherfucking job. Well, by the way, this is my job. Whether I'm paid or not, this is my job to fight and, and fight injustice. So I got a job. Don't you think? I'm not, even something like, I'm like, the police are all upset. They have the, the 7th Precinct has a, a sticker during the height of the Black Lives Matter movement on their door saying, like, stand with the protectors, uh, not with the protesters. I took a picture of it. It's on our, on our Facebook page. I took a picture of it. And people are like, are you kidding me? And I just say, like, don't you think we have better things to do? But if you would stop murdering black people, the demonstration would stop. You, I'm at a, we had to build a counter demonstration because fucking cops went out there with shirts that say, you know, I can breathe. Cops went and had a demonstration in New York City at City Park. It's like city, and, 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 and like they were allowed to do that. It was cops and other like Blue Lives Matter. All that developed. They had shirts that said, I can breathe. How monstrous is that to mock you know, the last words of Eric Garner? How monstrous is that? How 
completely inhumane. She's like, aren't you ashamed? No, no, brazen, brazen. And so that I just, I just, I am proud that under those circumstances, where we're being, I was, I, I got there to Ferguson the day after the National Guard held guns to people's head and tear gassed everyone. And people literally, I know like Rosa Clemente and some other people that were down there doing eyewitness accounts. I think Lumumba, Bandele was there. They were lying on the ground. People, like we, there was a younger black man, Rosa told the story about like, she held him down because he wanted to stand up and she, you know, she's older. She's a mom. She got it. She held this brother down and said, this is not the time. They have guns to our head. You need to live another day. Look at Charlotte. They framed an activist when they shot another black activist and then framed him for his murder at a protest. Like, that's what we're living under. And so I just... I am proud. I, I might not be, I'm still sometimes up in front and sometimes I'm way behind. <laughs> but I'm proud to be, like, you take the street. Sometimes I can't always take the street because, you know, I have some shit to do tomorrow. And I am I, saying, go be courageous. Well, I was, uh, people, you know, People's Monday, actually, they're going to have a demonstration on Sunday for um, Stefan Clark. People's Monday is fairly, it's the longest running Black Lives Matter event. It happens every Monday, 7 o'clock on the dot. They are somewhere in the city doing something political in the name of people, like people that I would never hear their names, like someone in Guatemala, some, you know, young child that died like 15 years ago, somebody, a trans woman, like this, they're just like, they do research and figure out, like, we're going to tell the story. They, it's the, it's the it's a five it's the five facts that they yell out and and read about what happened to this person and whether it be like a vigilante murder like you know like um, Trayvon Martin or an uh, an anti LGBT bashing you know or you know someone who died from police violence like, whoever the perpetrator is whatever abusive element it is they're gonna call out the facts and I just they they, they honor people's lives every week. And they're fearless. They get in the street. They don't care. We were up in Harlem. I got in the street too. It was, <laughs> we were like, they were just like, whatever. And it was so beautiful because we, I mean, like, even here in Flatbush, I have to say it, like, when we do Sandra Bland demonstrations, we always take the streets. And the cops, and it's led by, like, all these forces, like, you know, why accountability, um, the uh, People's Power Assembly is a group that I work with, you know, E for F, I'm usually like, but again, it's Sandra Bland and it's me, so I'm more like security minded and more also like helping root stuff. And it's so, it's so deep to me. I'm watching cops, men, push themselves against women, push them like chest to chest, knocking them over. And the women are fearless and they're like, hold that bleed banner until like a, a lieutenant comes like, stop, stop. There are people all up on the street watching you brutalize black women in the name of a black woman who died in police custody. Is this a good look? And they stop and they let us go. And we take a lane of traffic in one of the busy streets in Brooklyn and take Flatbush Avenue in the goddamn street two years in a row. So proud. So proud. All right. I should probably wrap this up. Any other final question? Because I probably, I need to go mm -hmm. do this thing. I guess maybe as a... I have to go fly. 
as a as a way to conclude, um, I guess kind of two different ways of asking a similar question. Like one is as someone who is fifty years old in August. Ha- in in August, yes, because you're a Virgo. I remember. Um, <laughs> how do you understand your role now as a movement elder, as a trans elder, as a Black elder in movements for for justice, for freedom, for liberation, and kind of what would you tell young Black folks, young queer folks, young trans folks, young working class folks, young migrants who want to get involved but but don't but don't know how or maybe feel like afraid of, of where they of being a newbie on that like journey that you were talking about. So one thing I wanna make clear that I am not probably conceived as an elder in black movements. There are definitely people in their sixties and seventies. Um I am definitely middle generation. I'm older than other folks. So there's but people I also that perceive me as much younger. In trans movement, I am clearly people. People call me uncle. Like I'm, I've always been older. You know, I definitely in trans movements, I'm an older person. One because our life expectancy isn't that long. Just to be real, like we don't make it to eighties. We don't make it to seventies. You know, you know, a lot of people die in their sixties. A lot of people die in their early seventies. You know, I'm just proud that some of us. I'm just happy to be fifty right now. I feel like I got some years left. So I wanted to just say that. But, but regardless, I am 50. And so I think the, I think, and my energy seems much younger to people. People are freak out when I say the 50. It's a whole piece of discussion. I actually say things sometimes and people, I say, you know, you know, as a, you know, as a 40 something year old, blah, blah, blah. I was in like this sort of healing circle of black, you know, um, organizers and we were talking and it was great. And I raised something and acknowledging my age, right, about it and the privilege of that and blah, blah, blah. And after I was finished, the whole little circle went, okay, okay, that's nice. And you're 50? You know, like, you're 48? And that was, like, the topic for, like, two minutes. And they were like, we need to see ID, blah, 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 da, 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 da. I was like, did you not hear the other things that I was, other, like, what I said that was, they were like, no, 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 we tuned that out. What's your age we tune that out we're just like what so that happens too i mean i'm happy about that i like flip over my dreads and like do you just see the gray it's a whole other thing but anyway and also part of it is like i feel like i've earned respect and it tells me so much about what ageism is like in this country because i'm like i'm demanding respect i am now 40 something i'm a middle-aged man i demand respect and, and and have said to people, well, you don't need to treat young people that way either. Don't be ageist. Don't be adultist. Don't treat. I have I have done actually organized like <laughs> the anti-ageist adults. This again during the Black Lives Matter at the heart. This was around Mike Brown, high school students that got barricaded into their into their school. Their parents were all called and they broke out anyway. And they did this march, and I was so fucking proud of them. We had teachers running up. They're gonna ruin their careers. We're like, step off. So we organize like a barrier for like, you can't get up to them. This is a leadership up front. You can't talk to them. Talk to us. Talk to us. We'll relay a message. Because we don't know you. Who are you? We don't know you. And you're not going to hinder them. And so what happened was that, again, you have to respect to get respect. 
when it started, then we were marching all day. Even something like we had planned to be in Union Square all day. We kind of said, we're going to stand here and do this thing. The young people came up and said, we're marching. We're taking the street. Some of them got arrested. And we were like, we cancel our demonstration. We go with that. We respect that. So we, we doesn't matter what we put out on social media. The young people are here. They broke out of school. They walked out. That was the righteous thing to do. We're proud. It was a national day of walk out. And they walked out. Their parents all got caught. They were seniors. And they were like, fuck this. We're marching it. We're walking out for Mike Blount. And they and we took we took the streets with them. We were just I, I don't even think we put it on social media. We were just like if people text us, we're just like, yeah, we're in the street. We're in Times Square now. Okay, you know. So but, it, but the long story of the short part of that is this understanding that you know, when they were like, Iman, Iman, should we take a bridge? And I was like, well, you know, there's only 200 of us now. We might have started it with more. I don't know. I've taken bridges when it was like more people. But I don't know. If you want to take a bridge, you know, that's your call. You guys decide that. But I just want to say, we're only 200 people. And they were like, that's a good point. And that that's different than saying, no, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about, blah, 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 blah. I've been doing this, blah, blah. Like, that's like... What is that? And so I guess, I, so the, to answer your question, you know, and, and again, please, I have probably been incredibly ageist and adultist in many moments in my life. I, you know, and like, I work on that shit too. So don't, I mean, I, I, I think part of why I mentioned my age, because I do look so young, I don't want people that like, I am not, I am not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna perpetrate some fucking crime for vanity's sake. I am not you know, 30, I am not 20, I'm not, nobody thinks I'm 20, but <laughs> I'm not a younger person, I'm older, and I don't face oppression in the same way, like, I just don't, like, that's just real, I'm not being, sh I'm not worried about being shot down in the street, when I'm in political mode, yes, when I'm cop watching, yes, but just my day-to-day -day life, no, like a teenager is, like a 20-year-old is, I'm not dealing with that. So the, 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 the moral of the quote-unquote story of the long-winded thing that I just did is that I really do think, I think that it is important, and I say this all the time, for young people, younger people, newer activists to really understand, like, they got this. I have watched, and again, here's a perfect example. I watched the, the Macy Day Parade when the folks protested inside of it they all got arrested and I, I was on jail support for them. They organized that. For the, that was the first action they ever organized in their life with strangers they didn't know over Facebook, which we were all like, I don't know if this is the best thing to do. But they created a Facebook thread and they organized like through Facebook, but they did this direct action. A righteous direct action during the Macy's Day Parade. There's never, I don't, you know, it was amazing that they did this and definitely were like calling lawyers because they were getting arrested. And I, that's what I, I think that's the piece of it. Like everything is an experiment. Everything, there's a moment that we meet anybody in our lives for the first time. We, we're like, we're making this up as we go along all the time. And just because I've been in the struggle over, you know, I don't know, at this point, maybe 30 years, doesn't, I, I had never been, a tenant organizer. I had tenant leaders in buildings that I lived in that I like supported their work and organized with them, but they were in leadership. I was not a tenant leader. And here I am like now really like helping to build tenant leadership and power and all this stuff. I'd never done that before. 
I I don't know what what have I not done? Even just being in the quality of a black bush, I'm just like, I've built scaffolding for stages. That's not my I mean, this is not my forte. I want to say I've been a production manager. So who's that? The person you hire the people that are skilled to do that work. <laughs> That's the beauty of being like a production manager. I don't know how to build the set, but somebody else does. Let me hire them. And so that's the, I think that's the other piece of it. Like for younger people to truly understand and, and own their own power and own like, you know, that it, it is, it is their right. It is their turn. They, like they don't have to ask anybody for permission. They don't have to like, who, just do it. Just go out. If you feel convicted about it, go out and do it. If you have people around you that you want to consult with and figure it out and plan together, that's beautiful. But don't let, I have so many folks that talk about like, because they've been in college or whatever, they're just the sponge, they're just supposed to be sponges. And I'm like, no. Rev, I always say it, revolutions are led by young people. Name a revolution that was not led by young people. That is true. It's their job. It is development. I'm going to talk about social work. It's developmentally on task for young people to rebel, to question authority, to figure out new innovative ways, to think outside the box. That's what they're supposed to do. That is that is developmentally on task. I get worried when young people are like, oh, no, no, I oh, oh, no, 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 I can't do this. Like, that's a red flag for me. I'm like, okay, let's talk about this. Why have you, why do you feel like you can't do these certain things in your life? Versus folks are like, we're going to do it, you know? And and again, it's okay to plan and figure it out. You can come talk to me. You can talk to some other person, like movement. You can, we we can even, I sometimes I'm like, here are these other people over here to talk about. They actually have, I'm not of that generation. Go talk to these people. They've done it and they did it a certain way. You go do it, talk to them. And I can, I, I give resources. Here are these other people over here that know how to build this or do this or whatever. I have never climbed a flagpole. I have, but I have younger people that go up and paste up to, on street poles for equality for flappers. I don't do it. They're young white people. They go do it. I'm like, that's badass. Go do that. I take pictures and literally you see the traffic light or the street light. And I was like, damn, they climbed up there. I can't do it. But you did it. So anyway, I, I, I think, you know, my, you know, my thing is like, I hope, you know, at some point in time that there'll be a revolution in this country. I don't think it'll be in my lifetime, but I want to hope and believe that there will be a generation who carries that forward. And I think, and everything's an experiment. We get more and more progressive as time goes on. And just for people to feel their own power, that anything that they do, I even just say, if you show up to a rally, if you show up to an event, it happened. Because that's the whole piece of it. If you don't show up, then the, the news media says, oh, it didn't happen. We, we can barely get media as it is. But if you showed up, then you're there. And that's an act of solidarity. Just show up. Just be there. That's Trust me, as an organizer, oh my God, you're here? All right. I just, I think people can be whoever and do whatever they want, and we should fight for that. Well, thank you so much, Imani. Thank you, Cameron. For being here and for your generosity of, of spirit and of home and of food and... I'm, I'm so late to get to a demonstration, to go do flyering right now, so what time is it? It is 5.15. 5.15. 